0: Three Chapter Seven of *The Smuggler* by George Payne Rainsford James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seven: The reader has doubtless remarked— for every reader who peruses a book to any purpose must remark everything—inasmuch as the most important events are so often connected with insignificant circumstances that the one cannot be understood without the other. The reader has doubtless remarked that Mr Radford, on leaving Sir Robert Croyland, informed his unhappy victim that he had still a good deal of business to do that night. Now, during the day he had, as may well be judged from his own statement of all the preparations he had already made, done a great deal of very important business, but the details of his past proceedings I shall not enter into, and only beg leave to precede him by a short time, "'to the scene of those farther operations which he had laid out "'as the close of that evening's labours. "'It is to the lone house, as it was called, near Iden Green, "'that I wish to conduct my companions, "'and a solitary and gloomy-looking spot it was at the time I speak of. "'All that part of the country is now very thickly inhabited. "'The ground bears nearly as large a population as it can support.' and though there are still fields and woods and occasional waste places, yet no such events could now happen as those which occurred eighty or a hundred years ago, when one might travel miles in various parts of Kent without meeting a living soul. The pressure of a large population crushes out the bolder and more daring sorts of crime, and leaves small cunning to effect, in secret, what cannot be accomplished openly under the police of innumerable eyes. But it was not so in those days, and the lone house near Eden Green, whatever it was originally built for, had become the refuge and the lurking-place of some of the most fierce and lawless men in the country. It was a large building, with numerous rooms and passages, and it had stables behind it, but no walled courtyard, for the close sweeping round of the wood, a part of which still exists in great beauty, was a convenience on which its architect seemed to have calculated. Standing some way off the high road, and about half a mile from Collier Green, it was so sheltered by trees that, on whichever side approached, nothing could be seen but the top of the roof and part of a garret window, till one was within a short distance of the edifice. But that garret window had its advantages, for it commanded a view over a great part of the country, on three sides, "'and especially gave a prospect of the roads in the neighbourhood. "'The building was not a farmhouse, for it had none of the requisites. "'It could not well be a public house, though a sign swung before it, "'for the lower windows were boarded up, and the owner or tenant thereof, "'if any traveller whom he did not know stopped at his door, "'which was indeed a rare occurrence, told him that it was all a mistake, "'and cursing the sign, vowed he would have it cut down.' Nevertheless, if the Ramleys or any of their gang, or indeed any members of a similar fraternity, came thither, the doors opened as if by magic, and good accommodation for man and horse was sure to be found within. It was also remarked that many a gentleman in haste went in there, and was never seen to issue forth again till he appeared in quite a different part of the country. And, had the master of the house lived two or three centuries earlier, he might on that very account have risked the faggot, on a charge of dealing with the devil. As it was, he was only suspected of being a coiner, but in regard to that charge, history has left no evidence pro or con. It was in this house, however, on the evening of the day subsequent to the discomfiture of the smugglers, that six men were assembled in a small room at the back, all of whom had, more or less, taken part in the struggle near Woodchurch. The two younger Ramleys were there as well as one of the principal members of their gang and two other men who had been long engaged in carrying smuggled goods from the coast as a regular profession, but who were in other respects much more respectable persons than those by whom they were surrounded. At the head of the table, however, was the most important personage of the whole, no other than Richard Radford himself, who had joined his comrades an hour or two before the joy and excitement of his escape from the wood the temporary triumph which he had obtained over the vigilance of the soldiery and the effect produced upon a disposition naturally bold reckless and daring by the sudden change from imminent peril to comparative security had all raised his spirits to an excessive pitch and indeed the whole party instead of seeming depressed by their late disaster appeared elevated with that wild and lawless mirth which owns no tie or restraint Reverence is nothing sacred or respectable. Spirits and water were circulating freely amongst them, and they were boasting of their feats in the late skirmish, or commenting upon its events, with many a jest and many a falsehood. The Major did very well, too, said Ned Ramley, for he killed one of the dragoons and wounded another before he went down himself, poor devil. Here's to the Major's ghost, cried young Radford, and I'll try to give it satisfaction by avenging him. "'We'll have vengeance upon them yet, Ned.' "'Aye, upon all who had any concern in it,' "'answered Jim Ramley, with a meaning look. "'And first upon him who betrayed us,' "'rejoined Richard Radford. "'And I will have it, too, in a way that shall punish him "'more than if we flogged him to death with horsewhips, "'as the Sussex men did to Chater at the Flying Bull near Hazelmere. "'The elder of the two Ramleys gave a look towards the men "'who were at the bottom of the table.' And Richard Radford, dropping his voice, whispered something to Ned Ramley, who replied aloud with an oath, "'I'd have taken my revenge whatever came of it.' "'No, no,' answered Radford. "'The redcoats were too near. However, all's not lost that's delayed. I wonder where that young devil, little Starlight's gone to. I sent him three hours ago to Cranbrook with the clothes, and told him to come back and tell me if she passed. She'll not go now, that's certain, for she would be in the dark.' "'Have you any notion, Ned, how many men we could get together in case of need?' Oh, fifty or sixty, said one of the men at the bottom of the table, who seemed inclined to have his share in the conversation, as soon as it turned upon subjects with which he was familiar. "'There are seven or eight hid away down at Cranbrook, and nine or ten at Tentadon, with some of the goods, too.' "'Ah, that's well,' answered young Radford. "'I thought all the goods had been taken.' "'Oh, dear, no!' "'replied Jim Ramley. "'We've got a thousand pounds worth in this house, "'and I dare say double as much is scattered about in different hides. "'The light things were got off, but they are the most valuable.' "'I'll tell you what, my men,' cried young Radford, "'as soon as these soldiers are gone down to the coast again, "'we'll all gather together and do some devilish high thing "'just to show them that they are not quite masters of the country yet. "'I've a great mind to burn their inn at Woodchurch just for harbouring them.' "'If we don't make these rascally fellows fear us, "'the trade will be quite put down in the county.' "'I swear,' exclaimed Ned Ramley, with a horrible blasphemy, "'that if I catch any one who has peached, "'even if it be but by one word, "'I will split his head like a lobster.' "'And I, too,' answered his brother, "'and several others joined in the oath.' "'The conversation then took another turn, "'and while it went on generally around the table,' Young Radford spoke several times in a low voice to the two who sat next to him, and the name of Harding was more than once mentioned. The glass circulated very freely also, and although none of them became absolutely intoxicated, yet all of them were more or less affected by the spirits. When the boy, whom we have called Little Starlight, crept quietly into the room and approached Mr. Radford, She's not come, sir, he said. "'I waited a long while, and then went and asked the old woman of the shop, "'telling her that I was to be sure and see that Kate Clare got the bundle. "'But she said that she certainly wouldn't come to-night.' "'That's a good boy,' said young Radford. "'Go and tell the people to bring us some candles, "'and then I'll give you a glass of Hollands for your pains.' "'It's getting infernally dark,' he continued, "'and as nothing more is to be done to-day, we may as well make a night of it.' "'No, no,' answered one of the men at the bottom of the table. "'I've had enough, and I shall go and turn in.' Nobody opposed him, and he and his companions soon after left them. A smile passed round amongst the rest as soon as the two had shut the door. "'Now those puny fellows are gone,' said Jim Ramley. "'We can say what we like. First, let us talk about the goods, Mr. Radford, "'for I don't think they are quite safe here. "'They had better be got up to your fathers as soon as possible.' "'for if the house were to be searched "'we could get out into the wood, but they could not.' "'Hark!' said young Radford. "'There's someone knocking hard at the house door, I think.' "'I trust all that to Obadiah,' said Ned Ramley. "'He won't open the door till he sees who it is.' The minute after, however, old Mr. Radford stood amongst them, and he took especial care not to throw any damp upon their spirits, but rather to encourage them and make light of the late events.' He sat down for a few minutes by his son, took a glass of Hollands and water, and then whispered to his hopeful heir that he wanted to speak with him for a minute. The young man instantly rose and led the way out into the room, opposite, which was vacant. "'By heaven, Dick, this is an awkward job,' said his father. "'The loss is enormous and never to be recovered.' "'The things are not all lost,' answered Richard Radford. "'A great quantity of the goods are about the country.' "'There's a thousand pounds' worth, they say, in this house.' "'We must have them got together as fast as possible,' said Mr. Radford, "'and brought up to our place. "'All that is here had better be sent up about three o'clock in the morning.' "'I'll bring them up myself,' replied his son. "'No, no, no,' said Mr. Radford. "'You keep quiet where you are till tomorrow night.' Pooh nonsense!' answered the young man. "'I'm not at all afraid.' "'Very well, very well, they shall come up.' and I'll follow to-morrow night, if you think I can be at the hall in safety. "'I don't intend you to be long at the hall,' answered Mr. Radford. "'You must take a trip over the sea, my boy, till we can make sure of a pardon for you. "'There, you need not look so blank. You shan't go alone. "'Come up at eleven o'clock, and you will find Edith Croyland waiting to give you her hand "'the next day. Then a post-chaise and four, and a good tight boat on the beach, "'and you are landed in France in no time.' "'Everything is ready. Everything is settled. "'And with her fortune, you'll have enough to live like a prince "'till you can come back here.' "'All this intelligence did not seem to give Richard Radford "'as much satisfaction as his father expected. "'I would rather have had little Zara a devilish deal,' he replied. "'Very likely,' answered his father, with his countenance changing "'and his brow growing dark. "'But that won't do, Dick.' "'We've had enough nonsense of all sorts, and it must now be brought to an end. "'It's not the matter of the fortune alone, "'but I am determined that both you and I shall have revenge.' "'Revenge?' said his son. "'I don't see what revenge has to do with that.' "'I'll tell you,' answered old Mr. Radford in a low tone, "'but bitter in its very lowness. "'The man who so cunningly surrounded you, and the rest yesterday morning, "'who took all my goods and murdered many of our friends,' "'is that very Harry Leighton whom you've heard talk of. "'He has come down here on purpose to ruin you and me, if possible, "'and to marry Edith Croyland, but he shall never have her by—' "'And he added a fearful oath, which I will not repeat.' "Ah, "'That alters the case,' replied Richard Radford, with a demoniacal smile. "'Oh, I'll marry her and make her happy, as the people say. "'But I'll tell you what, I'll have my revenge, too, before I go.' "'and upon one who is worse than the other fellow. "'I mean the man who betrayed us all.' "'Who is that?' demanded the father. "'Harding,' answered young Radford. "'Harding.' "'Are you sure that it was he?' asked the old gentleman. "'I have suspected him myself, but I have no proof.' "'But I have,' replied his son. "'He was seen several nights before by little Starlight, "'talking for a long while with this very colonel of dragoons "'upon the cliff. "'Another man was with him too.' most likely Mole. And then again, yesterday evening, some of these good fellows who were on the lookout to help me saw him speaking to a Dragoon officer at Widow Clare's door. So he must be a traitor, or they would have taken him. Then he deserves to be shot, said old Radford fiercely. But take care, Dick. You had better not do it yourself. You'll find him difficult to get at and may be caught. Leave him to me. Leave him to me answered his hopeful son. "'I've a plan in my head "'that will punish him better than a bullet. "'But the bullet he shall have, too, "'for all the men have sworn "'that they will take his blood. "'But that can be done after I'm gone.' "'But what's your plan, my boy?' "'asked old Mr Radford. "'Never mind, never mind,' "'answered Richard. "'I'll find means to execute it. "'I only wish those dragoons "'were away from Harborne Wood.' "'Why, they are!' "'exclaimed his father, laughing. "'They were withdrawn this afternoon, "'and a party of them, too, marched out of Woodchurch, "'as if they were going to Ashford. "'I dare say, by this time to-morrow night, "'they will all be gone to their quarters again.' "'Then it's all safe,' said his son, "'and after some more conversation between the two "'and various injunctions upon the part of the old man "'as to caution and prudence upon the part of the young one, "'they parted for the time.' Young Radford then rejoined his companions and remained with them till about one o'clock in the morning, when the small portion of smuggled goods which had been saved was sent off, escorted by two men, towards Radford Hall, where they arrived safely and were received by servants well accustomed to such practices. They consisted of only one horse-load indeed, so that the journey was quickly performed, and the two men returned before five. Although Richard Radford had given his father every assurance that he would remain quiet and take every prudent step for his own concealment, his very first acts showed no disposition to keep his word. Before eight o'clock in the morning, he, the two Ramleys, and one or two other men, who had come in during the night, were out amongst the fields and woods, reconnoitring, as they called it. But, with a spirit in their breasts which rendered them ready for any rash and criminal act, that might suggest itself. Thus occupied, I shall for the present leave them and show more of their proceedings at a future period. End of chapter seven.